and welcome to the Real Ones Canes podcast. I'm the Beast Brian Lundin alongside Brandon O'Doy. Follow us on all the socials at Real Ones Canes for the entire crew. Brandon is at Brandon underscore O'Doy. I am at Miami Radio Beast. Big show today. We got to reflect on the uh, close win against Virginia. Got to look ahead to NC State. We'll do that with Brett Friedlander. He's covered the ACC since uh, since before I had hair. And we will obviously talk about the quarterback situation because it's something that needs to be discussed. But Brandon, generally speaking, Miami beat Virginia in overtime. Um, I thought it was going to be a tough game just because of how Virginia played against North Carolina. And they are a team that gives maximum effort all the time. But it should not have been that close. There was obviously some some turnovers that cost the Miami Hurricanes, some things they didn't do right. But in the end, they got the victory. Yeah, and can't apologize for a win, and, and, and you never should because they're so hard to come by, particularly in this vaunted ACC this year, Beast, because, you know, I think we thought the SEC is going to be the team of the – they're going to be the conference of the year as they always are. But you're starting to see the Pac-12 and you're starting to see the ACC kind of, you know, rise to the forefront. The Big Ten has the number of rated team, but then when you look at the concentration of how good the middle of the pack – are in the big in, in in the ACC, the middle of the pack can beat you just as well as the the elite tier teams, and that's to me the strength of a conference. I don't want to know who you got those first eleven guys, those first twenty two guys. Give me twenty three to fifty because that's how you win football games. And so when you talk about power of conferences, you talk about this sort of dog fight that Miami found themselves into. Uh, you know, playing Virginia, yeah, that's indicative of the fact that there's strength in this conference. Tony Elliott's got this team playing their best football. I mean, that was a very winnable game. It's hard to go on the road in ACC two consecutive weeks and knock off, you know, juggernaut-type opponents, opponents who are basically favored to win games. Miami was favored by an unbelievable rate. I don't I don't even remember the line, but it was something audacious. Like It got up to 19. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way. I mean, but that just lets you know the strength of, you know, where people thought this was. And obviously the people who were setting those lines didn't watch the game the week before when Virginia, you know, absolutely had that thing clicking. And they did some things really well against Miami, but credit Miami's defense. And and we're sitting in uh, the, the press box, and I always tell you, man, you know, quarterback not playing well, can't get something going on offense, defense got to bail them out. And you saw that on a couple of different occasions. You know, Andy Borgales, three field goals. He's sort of defensive in the fact that, you know, he makes up for not, you know, being prolific offensively. And then you get Cam Kitchens with a big interception. That was huge for him because he's kind of had a 20-year, you know, not quite great, not quite bad. You know, he's kind of in the middle. That was a confidence builder for him. And then James Williams had a tremendous performance, 13 tackles. You know, he was just super clutch and and, and really playing very good football, quietly having, you know, a near All-American year, definitely an all-conference considerable type year. And Reuben Bain was Reuben Bain. And so when you talk about a defense like this and you talk about the attributes of this team, even though Tyler Van Dyke isn't playing his best football, thank God you're running the ball in effective rate and this offensive line is doing what it needs to do. All right, so let's get into this quarterback situation. Tyler Van Dyke, two interceptions, no touchdowns um, against Virginia. I thought at one point maybe they would pull him just to sit him on the bench for a series, get get his confidence right. But, you know, Shannon Dawson 
on Monday in the presser said, and I thought I found this interesting. He said, you know what? I'm a ride or die guy. That's our guy. I'm riding and dying with that guy. I'm not, I don't pull guys because of adversity. I let them work through their issues and uh, we were going to stick with them. And that's what they did. I don't know if that was for the better or for the worse. Miami ended up winning the game. And then Tyler, after the game, said something that was really eye-opening, which, you know, I wasn't able to get down to the press conference at the uh, at the Schwartz Center this week to talk to, to ask questions of Mario or Shannon Dawson. But Tyler, after the game, said he just wasn't preparing well enough. He needed to, you know, get, get more preparation in. And for a fourth-year guy to say that, I was... I, I was kind of taken aback. So this situation's a little bit precarious. It looks like they're trying to not play Ja'Curry Brown, although he could play in four games and still get a red shirt. So I guess it's it's Tyler or Bust, and if he gets hurt, it's Emery, and that's what we're going with. Yeah, and I, I, I caught a little bit of Dawson's comments and remarks about the whole whether or not we see Ja'Curry. And, and the only reason he's getting those comments about is, is because of how bad Tyler's playing. You know, as sure. of late, that's that's really nobody cares about a third string quarterback when the starter is doing what he's supposed to do, and and especially when they're admitting that they're not preparing for games like they should, like which is completely egregious on so many levels that I can't even entertain, you know, in the brevity <laughs> that we have on this podcast. But um, you know, Dawson basically said like we can't try to prepare two guys. One guy has to get most of the second team reps. And he basically said, you know, we ain't going to try to hold on to Emory's red shirt, you know, for the sake of, you know what I mean? Like preserving a guy, like we got to make sure we can get through this year. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of fine with that, you know, sticking with a guy and ride or die. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that um, because you got to understand he really only lost one game. You know what I mean? Because he could have taken a knee in the Georgia Tech game, and that should have been a win. So as bad as he played, he really only lost you one game. And if you're going to just completely bail on a guy after one game, that's not good coaching. So I'm kind of okay with that. But in the background, those two guys need to have a real sit-down, come-to-fruition moment and say, hey, look, things aren't really going very well. Like, we need to get it together collectively because, I, as I think we're going to talk about, my play calling is being affected by your inability to get the ball downfield, to open guys, and, you know, you're making us both look bad, buddy. So something's got to change. Yeah, two things that we need to touch on right here. One is this, the play calling. <laughs> Shannon Dawson looked brilliant uh, the first four games, but that's when Tyler was playing well. You know, there's been some criticism of the play calling over the last few games, but also that's when Tyler has regressed. They go hand in hand. And I'm wondering, and you actually made the point that Shannon Dawson's, Dawson's offense looked more complete when Emery was in at quarterback. I love so, it. I loved it. Yeah, so your thoughts on how those two go hand in hand. What is Shannon Dawson doing well or not doing well versus Tyler and his play? Listen, let me protect Shannon Dawson. And okay. He's made, he's made some decisions that I'm not really a fan of, and they're really off the field, but, you know, as far as, like, recruiting and stuff. But, like, I don't have any complaints about him as a play caller. If you can get a guy ready to play against Clemson at home and you win a game with a true freshman, I'm I'm good. And, and, and watch. 
he he timed opening up that playbook so perfectly, Beast. I mean, it didn't start really unraveling to late third, early fourth, where he really didn't have a choice. He didn't throw us out of the game. He didn't put more on this freshman. He knows we have a really good defense this year. He played in control. He was a super cagey veteran OC. And, and really all I think you're seeing is that he got a senior quarterback who's been hyped up, who had Heisman odds earlier in the year, stopped preparing, got injured. He's done this twice now. It's no fault of his own, but he's injured, and he's just not the same guy. And so at the end of the day, I think when he was super healthy, he went out there and made Texas A&M look real bad. And I think now that he's dinged up, he's not a guy that can play through injuries to this ability. It rattles him. It takes away some of his comfort level. We saw the same thing last year. So I think it's a fair criticism. And look, I don't play well injured. That's why I don't play football. When I get, you know, sore, I don't want to go to the gym where I just came back from. You know, a lot of guys can't push through that. And I don't know what else to say it is because it's like it's you can't be one quarterback for the first four games and a completely different guy the last four. It, right. The only thing that's happened between now and then is you got hurt. You know, you have a leg issue you're dealing with. You're still dealing with some hand. And it's the end of the year, so you're banged up because you took a lot of hits in, you know, one of those games. And now it's one of those situations where it's like, we don't know which Tyler we're going to get on a week-to-week basis, and I think that's the biggest problem. Like, we literally don't know who's going to show up at NC State. Valid point. And another road game in the Carolinas, uh, and we're going to talk to Brett Friedlander, who's covered the ACC for forever and knows this conference up and down better than anybody to preview that game. But as far as as far as far Tyler goes, and we talked about this in our podcast after the game, um, which you can find on the YouTube channel, The Real Ones Came's YouTube channel, and of course, anywhere you get your podcast, you can go subscribe to the podcast, which is, is Miami uh, wasting their amazingly talented offensive line? They're, you know, when they're all healthy, their fleet of running backs, uh, wide receivers, and some guys are coming on. Is that being wasted by the regression of Tyler Van Dyke? Well, that's the kind of point that I made, you know, like you have to trust Coach Cristobal and his staff that they're making the most. I know there's been a lot of conversation about in-game decisions and in-game coaching, and that's questionable to say it the nicest way you can, right? And I think those are fair criticisms. But we will find out. And we won't know this until after the season is over and maybe a few years down the road. We will find out, is it better to protect Emory? Let this, you know, very sort of near elite offensive line, defensive line, defense combo. Let this kind of flush out, not try to push it with a guy who may be able to give you more than Emory for the sake of one, making hoping Tyler may play his way back into the draft and get, cause he can still come back. Cause that complicates things. Cause all indications are behind the scenes. Miami's trying to bring a, a quarterback in out of the portal and right. try to make a run. So if, if you don't let Tyler play his way out, now you have to nudge him out and that doesn't look good either. You know what I mean? So no. it's kind of like, man, we're giving you this opportunity because we kind of want you to shine so we can begin to move on. We we know, like, we inherited you. You're not our guy. Like, we're kind of letting you go out. You're not a Dawson guy. 
You know what I mean? Let's let's be honest about that. You know, Dawson's kind of picking his guys, and he likes to develop guys. That's why I'm interested to see Emory next year because he really believes in his own development, and that's why he doesn't mind taking guys who are not as highly rated. But, yeah, that's the point. I'm concerned that we're <laughs> – when are you ever going to have a Matt Lee, a Cohen, and, and, and a Nez? When are you ever going to have a Jalen Rivers, a true freshman who's playing lights out at right tackle? Like, when are you ever going to have four interchangeable starting backs that are giving you good production – Mark Fletcher, uh, Henry Parrish, Don Chaney, and this kid Allen from, you know, wherever he came from. Like, Nebraska, when are you yeah. ever going to have James Williams, Camp Kitchens in the back? They are both probably draftable and gone. When are you ever going to have Jaden Davis on one side and Daryl Porter, guys that are local but didn't choose to come to Miami for whatever reason, out of the gate? To Corey Couch is gone after this year. You get what I'm saying? The Maya yeah. Gold kid from Washington State. Like, this is just such a tremendous – Mix of talent. Xavier Restrepo is likely gone. Jacoby George will be draft eligible. You got Kobe Young who will be draft eligible. Like, I mean, you can't say this team is going to look as elite as it is now next year. You got a strike. This was a strike year, Beast. At at worst, you should be a one-loss team. And you and some could argue you should be undefeated. And the guy who had Heisman odds and was and at one time was mentioned in the first round is the guy that's the reason that it's basically coming down to. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I want to, uh, on the flip side, after actually in the third segment, after we talked to Brett, I want to talk to you about uh, the portal opportunities for Miami and how NIL is is playing into that because it seems like our uh, our brothers up north in Tallahassee have figured that out a little bit after being uh, down and out in that area Early on, they've uh, they've gotten their things together, and now it's it's back to being what college football always has been—an arms race. So we will uh, we will yes. get to that. But on the other side, Miami's heading to Raleigh, North Carolina. They will take on an NC State team that just took on Clemson and beat them. It is going to be a nice day in Raleigh uh, during the day, but at night, an 8 p.m. start, it could be down in the 40s. Miami sometimes hasn't played well in the cold weather. So we'll we'll see what happens there. We're going to preview this game and go around the ACC with a guy that knows the ACC better than anyone. Brett Freelander is uh, covering the ACC since, I don't know, like I said, before I had hair. You can follow him on X at BeFreedACC. He covers the ACC for SaturdayRoad.com, and he joins us next on the Real Ones Kings podcast. the real ones canes podcast it's the beast brian london brandon o'doy and now we go up to north carolina to a guy that has covered the acc for a long time i don't think there's anyone around that knows this conference better than brett friedlander he covers the acc for saturdayroad.com and you can follow him on x at BFreedACC. brett thanks a lot for taking the time my friend I think this is my first time with you, and I'm excited about that because I follow you all the time, and uh, yeah. it's a great show. Yeah, yeah we, we have like a social media relationship, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, it's time we took it to the next level. So, I'm, I'm, I, you know, it's been, a, it's been a long time since date one to date two, but here we are. <laughs> uh, so, Brett, let's, let's get into this. The other day they announced the ACC future schedules as it relates to including now including Cal, Stanford, and SMU because that makes a lot of sense. 
I am yeah. excited that I do get to go out to my best friend's house in, in Berkeley next year and stay with him and watch Miami take on Cal. But what did you make overall of the schedule release and kind of some of these uh, protected uh, rivalry games? Miami gets Virginia Tech back as a protection, keeps Florida State as a protection. How do you see it as the ACC now includes these teams in their uh, annual uh, conference play? Yeah, there, there's no perfect way to do this. I mean, it's now the all-coast conference instead of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And when you've got teams from literally coast to coast, and, and 17 doesn't divide into anything. So yeah. it, it's a really difficult thing to do. But I think they've done as, as well as you could possibly expect. Like you said, they kept the rivalries together. And I think Miami now will play Virginia Tech again yep. from, from the old uh, Big East days. And yep. I think that's a good thing. So – and the other thing, too, is uh, nobody makes more than three trips to the West Coast during that seven-year window. So, you know, it, it's, it's you know, the, the travel is bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. So I think they did a good job. Uh, here's my thing, though. You've got a seven-year window here. <laughs> how long is the – what's the over-under and how long it lasts before they have to revise it, before either Notre Dame comes in, before Florida State and Clemson leave, before something else happens? You know, it's, it's a great system, but we probably have to do this again next year. Uh, you know, to follow up on that, the big picture question is the future of the ACC. Obviously, the media rights deal that they signed with John Skipper and ESPN at the time, not as much uh, revenue coming in from that as the other conferences have gotten from their media rights deal. And I know there's all sorts of legal implications to trying to break away from the conference, but you're right to assume that at some point over the next seven years, this conference may look different <laughs> than it does now. Yeah, and you know, you, you talk about the revenue difference, and I know you don't want to guys don't want to hear this being Miami guys, but uh, if Florida State goes to the playoff, and especially if Florida State wins the whole thing, uh, that's that will help solve some of that revenue issue because they'll bring in a bunch of money from that playoff. Yeah, no one in Miami wants to hear that, Brett. <laughs> no, I mean that's just not a thing that we want to hear. Let's let's for a second go around the ACC. This week, it's it's been a couple of weeks brewing, right? We've seen Dabo Sweeney. Uh, He's been a little bit uh, tough around the edges, uh, you know, since things have not been well in Clemson this year. But he really let Tyler, Tyler on the mobile, he really let him have it this week. What'd you make of all that? Yeah, I, I think that the folks in Clemson have gotten a little spoiled by their success. I mean, 12 straight uh, years of 10-win uh, seasons. Uh, you know, they went to five playoffs in a row, and now it's three years out that they're going to be out of the playoffs. Uh, the best they can do is win nine games if they win out, and they're not going to win out. Uh, so I, I, it's interesting to watch this because, you know, Dabo does not like to change. He, he, he doesn't embrace the, you know, the, the transfer portal. He's morally opposed to NIL. Uh, and now this, and he's starting to lash out on the Tylers from Spartanburg. Uh, you got to wonder if he's at the point where he's just going to throw up his hands and say, I don't need this anymore and walk away. Uh, because he's got to do some changing. He's going to have to adjust. And that's the one thing about a, a Nick Saban. He's able to maintain and sustain that because he's been able to adapt to the changes. Well, Dabo hasn't. And, you know, it's not like people are clamoring to go to the upstate of South Carolina. They're going there because they want to play for championships. And if they're not going to get a chance to play for championships, recruiting is going to fall off. So uh, it's an interesting situation. And uh, they're, they're getting a, a lesson in some humble pie right now. 
a lot of people don't know there's absolutely nothing around. Spencer's. No, I mean, I went to no, South Carolina, so I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Talk. Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, unless you like barbecue or I you wanted, like farming. One, one thing I wanted to ask, <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask, sort of equally snarky is like <laughs> what's going on with your coach at NC State and Coach Dave Duran. He, he seemed to have way more venom than you would think would be required uh, from Steve Smith. You know, he, he's a guy that, you know, was a really good wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers for years, uh, potential Hall of Famer. And all he said is they were looking forward to basketball season. And he just kind of seemed to go a little bit overboard with his comments about that. Can you explain where his mentality is? Because you know, NC State's always sneaky good, eight to ten wins very quietly, never really make a ton of national noise, but at times they appear in the top 25. They're a very tough team to beat, especially at home. Um, can you what are your thoughts on what he said? Well, that's that's just salty Dave being salty Dave. Um, he is playing to his fan base. It's a fan base that is right here in the in the triangle with with Duke and North Carolina, especially North Carolina, they judge themselves against them. And, and, and they're always kind of the, the, the red-haired stepchild of this area. And so uh, they've kind of got an inferiority complex, and he kind of feeds into that. And any chance he can to lash out and to, to endear himself to his, uh, his fan base, uh, he's going to do it. And Steve Smith lobbed him a softball on, on college game day that morning. Um, and, uh, and, and here, here's the thing. He's been there 11 years now and you're right. They're a good eight, nine win, you know, uh, a year program, but they've never been able to get up over that hump. They haven't won an ACC championship since 1979 and it just eats at that fan base, but yet he stays there and he keeps it. He just tied Earl Edwards as the winningest coach in program history last week when they, uh, uh, when, when they won and, uh, um, but he stays there because they love him because he's one of them. And, uh, you know, he likes to describe himself as a, as a blue collar hand in the dirt kind of guy. And that's the way they, they view themselves. NC state has done a couple of interesting things. One of them is changing quarterbacks. It looks like maybe it might work out. They started the year with Brendan Armstrong who transferred in from Virginia, who leads the team in passing and rushing. But now they go to MJ Morris and what does that do to the offense, Breton? And and how might Miami um, have to prepare differently for MJ Morris than they would for Brennan Armstrong? Well, it gives him a little stronger arm. He can throw the ball downfield a lot uh, further. He's he's a little bit more mobile, uh, not running the ball, but trying to you know create things out of out of nothing in the passing game. Uh, but to be honest with you, it really doesn't change a lot because the problem wasn't Brennan Armstrong. Uh, the problem is the fact that their offensive line has a hard time blocking anybody. Their running game is 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 negligible, and their receiving core is very young and doesn't do a great job of getting open all the time. And when they do, they they have a problem catching the ball. So uh, I, I think it helps a little. Uh, the fact that Casey Concepcion, true freshman, has now started to emerge gives them a weapon now that I think that they need to use even more. Uh, you know, you saw him last week uh, against Clemson. Uh, he had the big run from scrimmage, a 50-yard run that set up the first touchdown. But this is still a team that, that makes its living off of its defense. And the defense is great at turning the ball over. And the, 
you know, the more it can do that and the shorter the fields that it gives that offense, uh, the more effective the offense is going to be. So I, I still think this is going to be a low scoring game. And uh, the key for Miami is just don't give just don't give the ball away. Yeah, that's a tough task right now for the University <laughs> of Miami, as Tyler Van Dyke seems to be in some sort of uh alternate dimension where he feels like he needs to throw the ball to the other team. This conception kid just watching his highlights and what he's able to do, whether they line him out at wide receiver or line him up in the backfield, a little bit of a game changer for the NC state offense. That's something Miami will have to kind of prepare for as a kind of a, uh, a, a utility knife kind of guy. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. I mean, Miami's defense has been playing lights out, you know, anyway, so we'll see how that matchup goes. Yeah, and uh, like I said, the biggest thing, though, is is the defense because uh, they've got an elite, I mean, probably the ACC Defensive Player of the Year in, in linebacker Peyton Wilson, who has been there, it seems like, for 10 years now. But uh, <laughs> uh, but but he but he, he had to pick six last week against Clemson. Uh, this, this guy's got, I believe, he's the second on the team in sacks. Uh, he even ran the ball on a fake punt for a first down. So he's the guy that they put, uh, you know, they put their trust in. Plus, their secondary is really good. Their two corners, uh, Aiden Aiden White and um, Shaheem Battle, are are about they're they're two of the best in the league. All right. So one last question. I don't even know how to ask this. The Uh-oh. national narrative. <laughs> the national narrative after North Carolina lost to Virginia was well, Mac Brown is going to Mac Brown, and I don't even know if that's fair or not. But what did you make of all of that? Yeah, I mean, you really have to wonder because, listen, this guy, yeah, he won a national championship at Texas and he had Vince Young, and I guess you can't ruin Vince Young. But this guy has now had two elite generational franchise quarterbacks in a row. He's got Sam Howell, who is now the starter for the Washington Commanders. He's the last two years now, he's had Drake May, who's going to be one of the top three picks in next year's draft. And what has he got for it? Nothing. I mean, yeah, he got a a, a, a a Coastal Division championship last year, but they were on the verge of being in contention for the playoff, and they lost their last two regular season games, lost to Clemson in the, in the championship game, and then and then got beat by Oregon in the bowl. And now here they are, 6-0. and They're right there, number 10 in the nation. It's all lined up for them, and they lose to two teams that nobody has any business losing to, Virginia and Georgia Tech. And here you are again, and you're going to finish with uh, you know two, three losses, uh, it, yeah, I mean, at this point, it, it's basically become his trademark. Uh, they're right there, and they can't finish the deal. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him at the end of this year because he's 72 years old, and he's losing Drake May. Uh, my guess is he might lose Omarion Hampton, the leading rusher in the ACC. Uh, Tez Walker is going to probably go. Now what do you do? And I would not be shocked if he decides to walk away and call it a career. Oh, I can't wait for the coaching carousel season. (laughs) Definitely have to get Brett back on for that. Brett, I appreciate you taking the time. We look forward to this matchup in Raleigh on Saturday night. We look forward to a slate of ACC games, which, of course, will provide more drama and fodder for us to follow for sure. Who would have thought that Louisville against Virginia Tech was probably going to decide who plays in the championship game, right? Yeah, I didn't have that on my bingo card for sure. No, me neither. And we should I even bother letting the audience know that before we started the segment, you were trying to make a case for Miami making the championship game? 
Yeah, they could. Listen, beat Florida State and beat Louisville. And now there's like a four-way tie for uh, for for uh, second place with two losses. And with all the tiebreakers, it could come down to a game of rock, paper, scissors. That would mean that uh, the Miami quarterback has to stop throwing the ball to the other team. That's something that needs to happen. Brett, we appreciate you taking the time, my friend. We love your stuff at SaturdayRoad.com. Follow him on X at BeFreedACC. You can't miss him with his Uncle Sam hat on. It's just uh, it's one of the most iconic uh, X uh, avatars on the uh, on the platform. Brett, thanks so much, my friend. Let's do it again, man. All right, we will uh, talk more about the Miami Hurricanes and everything else after this on the Real Ones Canes podcast. Welcome back to the Real Ones Canes podcast on the Beast, Brian London, Brandon O'Doy. Thank you so much to Brett Friedlander for coming on. Man, he is so good on the ACC. We'll definitely have to have to get him on again. He is tied in. All around the conference, been doing it for so long. Speaking of the conference, uh, a team that Miami will continue to play every year because they are protected rivalry now that the new ACC schedule for the future has come out along with Virginia Tech, which is good. I'd like to get back to those roots, uh, is Florida State. Miami and Florida State, rivals in uh, every sport and uh, in recruiting as well, Brandon. And they just watching from afar and you cover the recruiting game a lot more than, than I do, but just watching from afar, it looks like Florida state, you know, maybe started off slow in the NIL deal, but they've really gotten it together. Um, and like everything else in college football, like it used to be, it is once again, an arms race where, you know, these kids are, are going to go where they feel the most love and, and Florida state's given a lot of love right now. Yeah, they've got their act together. They're, they're, they're giving a lot of love. You look at what they did last cycle, grabbing Edwin Joseph from Chaminade Madonna and also Conrad Hussey from St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, these are two really elite defender types that really could have come in and given the same thing that a Damari Brown is given for the University of Miami. And these guys um, were basically taken to a place where I think that it was a coin flip. And both of these guys kind of were down to Miami and FSU, not so much with Joseph, but definitely Conrad Hussey was down between those two. And at the end of the day, you're going to start seeing the Canes and the Knowles matched up one-on-one, you know, with these recruitments. Like you're, this is, this is going to begin to be a thing. And so when you've got, you know, the NIL game figured out, like for instance, when you don't have it figured out, it's a disaster. It's embarrassment, like what happened to Florida last year with Jaden Rashada, who yeah. they tried to take from Miami. And at the end of the day, Rashada got there and he was promised one number. And Florida was like, well, we didn't promise you that. Well, this is the number that we're saying, oh, we didn't come here for this because we could have got this and going to play to Miami. But we were coming here for this number. And that's why the kid is playing at Arizona State. And so in this game, it's important for universities to be authentic with kids, tell them what they can get, where their value is, and then keep their promises. Because, you know, now that both teams have the ability to offer NIL packages for these players uh, that are substantial in nature, you know, it will come down to good business. And so at the end of the day, you know, everybody's got to do what they say they're going to do. There's, you know, a big recruiting class that went to Texas A&M a few years ago. A lot of promises made. 
a lot of that recruiting class is no longer there. Why? Because there were promises that were not kept. And so it's one thing to have NIL is quite another to be able to uh, impact and come through on the obligations that you're sharing with these families, because this is life changing income, you know, for these young kids. These are people who live in backgrounds and come from situations where this money isn't just appreciated. It's needed in so many ways. So it's definitely something that doesn't go over well when you make promises and you don't keep them. So the challenge will be for both schools to navigate the rules, the changes, uh, you know, deal with the people who are giving and, and providing income to these collectives and appropriating those to recruits because now that's where it sort of becomes NFL-ish because everybody can't make all the money, you know, and then there's also a baseline that almost everybody needs to give. And right. then when you have a good special season, like what's happening with a Ruben Bain, it's like, well, yeah, I know what we talked about, but we might need to go up because all he's got to do is jump in the portal and now right. it creates, you know, a really big problem. Speaking of which, can freaking Sonic drive in, help the kid out? I mean, the guy goes to Sonic after every game. He gets a big, huge meal. He loves Sonic. Uh, can someone hook Ruben Bain up with the folks at Sonic? He needs his own beverage. He needs his own sandwich. Like, we need to make this happen. I don't know. I, I don't know anyone at Sonic driving, but I'm willing to, like, make a phone call because, for the love of God, so Ruben likes Sonic. Hook him up. Come on. I, I think that needs special. to happen. And I don't think people really understand this. He drives home with his family after yeah. games. And that's the beautiful part about being a South Florida kid playing for Miami. You can go home with your family. You don't have to take necessarily the team situation. And I think that's cool. That's why you see all these pictures of him at Sonic. Because I'm thinking to myself, like, why isn't he on the team bus? Like, what's going on here? And then yeah. his dad drove by me. You know, I'm on my way to my car after we're coming down from the game. He was in the back. I was like, oh, yeah. wow. That, that was like a game or two before we knew what he was going to become, what he is now. Yeah. And, you know, Ruben, you know, I go way back with Ruben, his family, his father and I are friends, of course. And uh, he's just a really good kid. And what Miami has done with him um, has been super special. Now, uh, you're talking NIL and collective. Somebody over there better be saving because, uh, you know, we don't want Bain to go anywhere. Because yeah, no, no, uh, I can no I can only it. imagine what the market would be if he were to tiptoe his you know his foot. It, I don't even want to speak that, but yeah. I mean, Sonic ain't the soon, only one who needs to be getting prepared. Soon, soon these these college football teams are going to have to have a capologist, so to speak. They're going to they're going to have to have you know that's why Alonzo Highsmith was kind of brought in as the GM. Uh, but there needs to be financial guys that, you know, that can run numbers and know what that's going to cost you to keep your team together. And that opens to my next question, which is Miami did amazing in the portal, right? In the offseason. I mean, look what they've done on the offensive line and all across this team. You don't, you're not guaranteed that same success in the portal this offseason. And it does, unfortunately, come down to money to lure these kids that can go anywhere now if they enter the portal. You got to be attractive. You got to get them to come. They're not just going to come down here because it's Miami and it's the, you know, it's South Florida and it's a great place to be. And it's a program that has some success in the past. No, it's what have you done for me lately? And what benefits me for coming to your program? And that's going to be something that Mario Cristobal has to face when we get to this offseason. Yeah, uh, it's going to be something he definitely has to face. And but first, let's give Coach Cristobal and everybody on that staff 
you know, in the recruiting department and Alonzo Highsmith and all of those guys, uh, let's give them credit because they did very well. And I think once they grade this portal class, I'm not as familiar with the rest of college football, but it's got to be near the top. It's got to be top yeah. five, if, if, if not top 10. I mean, you're hitting on Matt Lee. You're hitting on the young man from Alabama, Cohen. Yep. You're hitting yep. on the, the transfer linebacker. You know, you're hitting on Jaden Davis. Um, you're hitting on, I mean, that's four guys who are making an immediate impact. Um, and so the the Allen kid, he he's a hit too because he's providing, you know, game-winning plays and he's like the fourth back, but he's, you know, who, who, who knew you would have to go so deep? He starts last game. So that's five guys that I've just named um, that you hit on. He's not considered portal, but he comes from sort of that type of, you know, recruiting mechanism, the the Australian punter. Um, And so, you know, if you hit on five to six guys and they hit on key positions, and this is why I'm so concerned with how Van Dyke has played because, man, Matt Lee's a one-year hit. Like, you got to go back and find his center. Who's going to play tough, center on this team? Tough, tough position. You know, and, 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 you know, Cohen is probably gone. So you come back, you got a Nez who comes back. Rivers may have played his way into the draft. You know, you he's got, a draft eligible I mean, l- luckily so, your tackle in Maui Noah, uh, the freshman, is is coming back, hopefully. So, your right side is probably coming back, but your whole left side may be gone. Yeah, yeah. Including and that's where all the runs yeah. take place. You know what I'm saying? And that's where that's where that's where Fletcher's finding, you know, a lot of success. Parrish definitely loves to run that way. I mean, you know, that your whole your 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 from center to left may all be gone. Rivers is playing lights out over there. So now it's like, how do you replace that? Davis is potentially gone. Porter could go, uh, because he came from West Virginia. He was already, you know, he's class of 2020 which means, you know, he's a junior on the field in college. He's been playing since freshman year. Williams is probably gone, and Kitchens is probably gone. So yeah, you're going to – and, and, and Couch. So you're going to lose everybody in your defensive backfield. You're going to lose your whole left line center. You're going to lose a quarterback. Uh, Kobe Young may play his way into the draft. Restrepo's gone. Harold, you know, you may have some other transfers. And that's before you realize – Who's going to leave on the bench? So yeah, man, this this is going to be hard to replace. And I'm not saying it's impossible because it's hard. To, why criticize someone who did well? But look right. at Mel Tucker and what happened to him at Michigan State. He goes 11 no and three. He goes bananas, and then the next year they're they're they're, they're also rants, and, and he's now out of a job. So yeah. It's a uh, it's a dog eat dog world in college football, man. It is it is not an easy game. Every year, everything flips over. It's like an, it it's just like an NFL franchise, man. That roster turnover, you got to manage it well to do well. Um, let's talk about this game against NC State. Uh, we we heard from Brett. NC State is a team that relies on their defense. They play an odd front three three five. Um, it's going to be something that is going to be. It's going to be tough for for Tyler Van Dyke if he's not playing well upstairs, meaning uh, looking for the right reads and and seeing what's going to happen because they are ball hawks, you know, playing in that nickel formation in the back. Um, It's it's going to be a tough deal, and this could be an ugly game if if things get out of control. 
I'm holding up three fingers and I got yeah. three words for every fo- finger that I'm holding up. Yeah. Run the ball. And if I wasn't in the ministry, I'd add a fourth word, but you know what that is. Run the ball, run the ball. That's the key. Do we trust Mr. Van Dyke? We've done enough Tyler talk. Yeah. I, 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 I no, there's no, there's no part of me right now that trusts him. He's got a, he's got his run earn his way back in. Yeah. Earn his way back into the trust. But, but you don't think that NC State knows that Miami's going to try to run the ball? That's now, fine. listen, you right, you got to stop now, it. Now, let me add, let me let me just add this because I know where you're going potentially. When I say run the ball, I I needed to look exactly like we need to see that Clemson offense. So when we're not directly handing the ball off, we need to be throwing into the boundary, throwing into the field, and, and then hitting pops when people are wide open and even Van Dyke can't screw that up, like throw the ball. Like we're, we're over here. We're over here. We're diving and we're mixing it up. You know, that's the type of thing we need to be doing. And we need to be kicking field goals with our, our Groza semifinalists, soon to be Groza semifinalists, Andy Borgales in the cold. And, and we need to get out of there with a 17, 13, 20, 21, double OT extra point, Winning, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just get out of Raleigh with a win if you can figure out how to run the ball and limit mistakes. The positive is, according to Mario, Henry Parrish and Don Chaney are back this week. Uh, That's you know, fine. We'll Even what, better. We'll see Let's what run ha- the ball. We'll see what, Let's we'll run see what, ha- we'll see what happens. And AJ. Well, and you have Brashard Smith that can line up in the backfield now. So Whatever. Brashard Smith, kickoff return for a touchdown. Run the ball play great on special teams, don't turn the ball over, don't give Tyler a reason to have to throw interceptions, run the football. Yeah, and Shannon Dawson also admitted that Tyler needs to do a better job of dumping it down when he has the opportunity. So Yeah, he's going to dump it down to I – mean, he, he's been doing that all year. That I don't know where that comment comes from. He's not well, taking it downfield. I, I, you know, there was a bunch of screenshots – of who was open and what he should have done on different plays um, in, in that game against Virginia. So I think that's where that question came from. And that answer came from. So we'll see what happens against NC state, but it's a thought game. It's yeah, like, go ahead. It's the, the rest of Kane lore or Kane fandom is finally joining me on the Tyler is not that good of a quarterback. And, and at, forgive me for being on this bus so long by myself. And I'm like, Hey guys, thanks for finally getting on this bus. Like I'm over it at this point because everybody was telling me how great this kid is. And I've been saying this for the longest time. Great kid. Awesome. He probably wants to punch me, but I'm just saying like, where did y'all, where did he ever inspire the kind of confidence that has been placed into this kid? I just don't see it. I'm going to do it. Brandon was right. No, no, no. Brandon was right. Brandon was right. Don't do that to me. No, no. (laughs) Let me explain why, Beast. And I know time is running over. But let me explain why. You know what Tyler is? Tyler's Stephen Morris. Um, He's he's Stephen Morris. To some extent, Brad Kaya. He's everything we've been seeing. He's Malik Rozier. He's, he's, He's these... Flashy, flashy, elite-type guys who just aren't ready to be nationally recognized. We've had so many of those guys. 
so many. He's the next in that line. Well, and it's he, like, he's, how many times do you have to see something before you recognize it? How many times? He's Miami the same is, guy. Miami has had uh, so many quarterbacks that looked like they could uh, go play in the NFL one week. But and not one like- playing in the NFL. Not one. Right, and, and 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 the next week they look like they shouldn't even be starting on a college team. Stephen Morris uh, was well, he's a prime example. He looked like he looked like the second coming. He was uh, amazing at times. He could he could throw the rock, man. He could throw it a long way. And then to throw you out of a game, interception yep. here. I love my boy Stephen. I ain't I ain't. Yeah, I like him too. Him. I'm just trying to make a point. I got you, man. All right, it'll be the Canes and NC State. On uh, on Saturday night in Raleigh, I, it's a great atmosphere up there. I love that stadium. It could be a little bit stadium. cold. Yeah, I, it could be a little bit cold up there. It could be in the forties. Atmosphere. I mean, have you ever been? Well, you've been. Yeah, I, I've been. There. You're like right on top of you, man. Yeah, 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 for sure. So we will see what happens. I'm just please, just don't turn the ball over. Just just let just even like you said, even if it's two, three yards in a cloud of dust, run the ball. Yes. All right. Brandon was right. Brandon no, no, was right. No, that, that, that's not required. It just, I'm just, I don't think people had the guts to say it. Um, you convinced me, my man. I'm on your side now. Uh, we will, uh, we will he talk to you. you. Not me. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I will talk to you. I after wanted the to game. be wrong. I wanted to be wrong. I wanted to believe that Bama saw something to put this kid in the portal. I wanted to believe he was a first round in Isaac. I wanted that. I wanted that for him. I wanted that for this team. I wanted that for Mario Cristobal, who I love. I wanted that, but it's just not real. We, and we only tell you what's real because we're the Real Ones Canes podcast. Uh, one of us, uh, probably me, but we'll see what Brandon's doing late Saturday night. He'll probably be uh, asleep. But it's a possibility that we will have something for you uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, so stay tuned to wherever you get your podcast and also the YouTube channel. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. It's the Real Ones Kings Podcast. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.